Hello and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast with your hosts, Mike and Scott. Hey Scott, how you doing? Good, Mike. How about yourself? Hanging in there, hanging in there. We've uh, <clears throat> we've taken a couple weeks off for various reasons. Uh, we're back to uh, back on the treadmill, as I like to say. Right. So uh, let's catch up. We've uh, we've gone through the pipeline. We've talked about basic training. We've gone through the pipeline. We've spent uh, over three hours talking about the RAG, or air crew training. Uh, we've talked about your trip to Hawaii and joining the fleet in Hawaii. Um, so now I think it's time that uh, you're going to share your first detachment experience with us. You know, like... Uh, you know the debt. Yeah. What debt you were got put on? What ship you sailed with? Where you went? Those kind of things. And yeah, it sounds. Uh, that sounds good. Uh, stretch those brain cells we, of yours. See if you see what you remember. Exactly. Now, and here's right. the thing: you're flying without a net because I, <laughs> I can't be there. I wasn't there to help trigger any memories. So. Well, at the same time, I may trigger some of your uh, memories that <laughs> might be. It's under possible. some cobwebs that you didn't share <laughs> in your previous sure. discussions on your initial fleet experience. But, uh, you know, it was a long time uh, to get here. Uh, Mike and I, as I think we've talked about before, literally began active duty on the same day in uh, November of 1982. And now here we are coming into the spring of 1984. You know, checked into my first fleet squadron, sent me to a couple of different uh, schools, uh, got my plane captain qualification, and, uh, you know, got that done. Went to uh, an ordnance school at Ford Island, which was actually very interesting because we actually banded a Mark 46 torpedo, which is what we carried as our primary weapon on the H-2. And banding is basically... Um, what they use so that they can put the shackles on the um, torpedo and load it onto the uh, bomb rack, the Mark 8 Mod 6, I believe it was, <laughs> if memory serves. I have no, I couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's what it was. As far as I was concerned, that's just where the ox tanks hung. Right, exactly. And, and in substitute for the drop tanks, we could carry two Mark 46 torpedoes, but typically if we did carry a torpedo for an exercise, we'd still have the one uh, drop tank on yeah. there. So at a certain point, um, I was brought back up to the shop, the air crew shop, and at, at the time, uh, things were moving along fairly quickly as far as guys showing up and getting qualifications. And then... Uh, Going out on uh, deployment. Hang on one second. All right, so so I'm back up in the uh, aircrew shop. They put me on a detachment. It was uh, detachment eight, and really, a detachment typically consisted of four pilots, an officer in charge who was either a lieutenant, a senior lieutenant, or in our case, a lieutenant commander, another uh, who was an aircraft commander, and then the maintenance officer who was a 
first tour pilot, but had already completed a deployment and uh, was the other aircraft commander. And the two um, H-2Ps, helicopter second pilots, were both first tour, first deployment, typically uh, lieutenant junior grades. Occasionally, um, it might be a lieutenant who had done like a, a, a station pilot tour or came from another platform, but they were new to the LAMPS community. So in our case, we had, like I said, a lieutenant commander, and we had a lieutenant for our maintenance officer, and we also had another lieutenant for our operations officer and a lieutenant junior grade for our uh, admin officer. So you have two typically air crew. In our particular case, we had three. We're all AW3s, but the senior crewman had made a deployment, and he was on a fairly short turnaround from his previous detachment. And uh, one of the guys that was going on cruise with me was actually going through the FRS uh, at the same time as I was. He he maybe preceded me uh, by a class or two. Who was it? And then you'll – what's that? What was his name? Danny Eaton. Okay. I probably um, can – if I saw I think, his picture, I might remember his face, but the name does not yeah, ring any he, bells. Yeah, he, uh, he was like two classes ahead of me, I think, at uh, – 31 so he might have just been leaving when you were showing up okay uh, may, maybe not I, I don't really remember it but uh, he uh, he was definitely ahead of me I didn't go through any of the I don't even remember him from uh, a school or being in Pensacola or anything like that and then you'll have uh, usually two um, senior enlisted you'll have a, a chief in our case it was an AX chief which is a non-existent raid, an, an aviation anti-submarine warfare technician. And then we had a, a AMH-1 for our leading petty officer. And then we had two of each rate, ma the, the, uh, the major maintenance ratings. We had uh, two ADs or aviation machinist mates. And then we had one other AMH or I can't remember if it was an AMS or an AMH. They they break down the structural mechanics by metalsmith or hydraulic in the helicopter squadrons. We didn't have AMEs, which was the ejection seat people, obviously. And then we had two AEs, aviation electricians. And then we had two ATs, which are um, avi avionics technicians, uh, basically. And then the air crew were qualified as plane captains. And you may have one of the one or two of the uh, junior maintenance rates that's also qualified as a plane captain. But in our particular case, we didn't. The air AWs were the only plane captains. So really, uh, that kind of was uh, really? not a great deal for us because, no. in a way, it, it in a way it was, and in a way it wasn't. In in the way that it was, we didn't have to do any of the uh, greasing and wiping or any of the real dirty work per se. We just did the inspections, but um, typically the way we would do it is all three of us would pick a, uh, a certain area of the aircraft to do the inspection. So the, the daily didn't take like two hours, which typically it took to, you know, do one by yourself. Doing a daily by yourself on the helicopter was, was kind of a pain in the neck because yeah. it took a lot of time. I mean, to do it right. And, of course, we're flying in the thing. So 
um, I, I, I did it correctly. And um, so it usually took me a couple hours to do it. All right. Um, so here, here's our first compare and contrast uh, point. Um, my detachment was also dead eight, which I find interesting. Um, but we had six people that are qualified plane captains. We were supposed to have a seventh, but he didn't pass his board by the time we left. So because he didn't pass his plane captain board, he was the grease monkey. His punishment was he greased their head and tail rotor every night because he was supposed to be yeah. playing captain. So that and so the other six of us, we we divided the airplane into five sections, and the sixth person did all the paperwork. So you know you had your you had your piece. It was like left side, right side, upper deck, nose, and inside. One, right. two, three. Yeah, that was the five. And then the sixth person would, you know, because you remember you had all those slots you had to f- put your initials in of all the steps yeah. you did. So, yep. you know, that was one guy's job that, and we, I think we swapped every week. I think you did one, one spot a week. So, yeah. So I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah. So, so we got the people from our, for our, detachment and then of course the other component of the detachment is the ship and in our case we were going to be uh deploying aboard the uss badger uh ff 1071 which is a 1052 or knox class frigate um about 350 feet long i think 290 crew members including the air debt so it's not a particularly big ship it only had one uh, five-inch gun up on the bow. It had an ASROC, which is the anti-submarine uh, rocket-propelled torpedo. Basically, it's a Mark 46 torpedo with a rocket attached to it. Uh, we had a hull-mounted uh, SQS-26 um, sonar, and uh, we had what was known as, uh, you, you'll hear it, sometimes called a basic point missile defense system or a BPDEMIS, which was essentially uh, a naval or a, a navalized version of the Sparrow missile. And we had a uh, four torpedo tubes and they could throw some 50 cals around on the ship. So that the ship was relatively lightly armed. It was designed to be uh, an ocean escort. It was, it was known as a, uh, McNamara's Folly because it was a the first combatant ship in the Navy to be a single screw. <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of a fiasco there. Um, it had an aluminum superstructure. Uh, it was designed to be built, you know, relatively cheaply and whatnot. We had uh, our own berthing. Uh, we were in what was known as the 12-man uh, berthing compartment. It was pretty cramped, though. I mean, we had our own head and everything, but it was so, fairly cramped. There was the, the 12 of us in there. There might now, have been one open open rack. I can't remember exactly. Now, if I if my shipbuilding history serves me correctly, that 12-man berthing was an add-on some point during the yes, construction of the class, that's right. and it was designed to be used by the air. To, you know, any any embarked. Uh, aircraft not attention. all the ships operated it that way some operated as an overflow for the chiefs or the officers or 
kind of like a, an overflow berthing. And then one of the ships, the actual Knox, which I deployed on later, did not have a 12-man berthing. One of the ships I was on had a 12-man berthing, but we didn't use it. So, um, But on this particular ship, we were given the 12-man berthing. Well, that's cool because usually it's, it's F.U. Airedales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were kind of... Uh, you know, they, they, they liked us because they got the extra pay, but they didn't like us because, you know, we're having flight quarters all the time, yeah. which is when the ship is going to operate the helicopter. So, but backpedaling a little bit. So you get, we get put on the detachment and similar to what uh, Mike talked about, you get uh, assigned essentially a cage, literally. And uh, this is where you store all of your tools, which you also draw your, your yellow gear as we called it, which was certain uh, test, uh, the hydraulic jenny and the oil servicing, we called that yellow gear. It might have been a few other things. Um, Toolboxes um, and whatnot and other, uh, and other items. And then you start, uh, you know, operating ashore uh, as, a, as a unit, you know, you're you're p- pretty much independently operating. You're sure you have the squadron there for support, but uh, essentially, you know, you publish your own flight schedule, and uh, you know, you do your own, uh, you do your own thing. And uh, at some point, of course, you got to get underway. Now, when you get underway on a detachment, and our ship was homeported in Pearl Harbor, so. Um, you know, we have to bring all this crap down to the ship and unload it onto the ship. So that's that's a that's a fun experience, especially <laughs> if your ship is like nested, which is what they tend to do with destroyers and frigates, where you might be outboard. You know, if you're the junior ship, you got to cross three ships to get to yeah. Yeah, you got to cross a couple of ships to get to your own. Fortunately, in our case, our our captain um, of the ship that I was on this detachment was a senior frigate captain in Pearl Harbor. So we had position a, as far as a birthing spot. So that didn't really uh, come into play until uh, later on when we we're in San Diego and we did get nested outboard. Um, did you get all your stuff uh, craned on? Was there a crane there? For yeah, your yeah, yeah. We had to, yeah, we had to palletize everything and then put it on the stake trucks, drive it down there. And then uh, of course we had to be there to assist and you know this is the part of uh being in the lamps community at this particular time in uh in history as as an aw because aws uh in other communities um as we used to say in the navy tended to skate a little bit more (laughs) than now granted aws are, are the masters of skating um compared to other folks in the Navy, because a lot of times we didn't have as much adult supervision, if you want to call it that, as other other uh, other sailors, because mainly when you're operating, you're on your own. I mean, you're literally, you know, as they as they would say that, uh, you know, you might have some E3 or E4 that uh, can turn a whole battle group around based upon what uh, analysis he makes of a, uh, a submarine contact. So, um you know, smarter than your average bear, I guess you could say. Supposedly. Um, allegedly, yes. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, yeah. Um, yeah, so we got to unload the stuff onto the ship. Now, keep in mind, there's a lot of us, myself and uh, 
one of the other AWs, you know, a couple of the, a couple of the pilots, um, you know, probably half the maintenance people, they've never been on a ship before, literally, ever, right? Yep. So you have to uh, adjust to shipboard life. And when you go on one of these short cruises, it's it's a giant uh, leap in uh, your maturity as a sailor, a little, and it's a huge culture shock. And... Uh, it requires a rapid um, ability to cope and adjust. It would be the way I would describe it. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it's all, it, none of it, I wouldn't describe it as bad. It's just some people don't adjust well to rapid changes. And if you are unable to do that, you probably should not go into the military because that's just a fact of, of life if you serve in the Navy and for Mike and I having been in the Navy for a fairly reasonable amount of time before we first went on deployment we had kind of a, a good um, mechanism because we had been through some pretty tough training both physically and mentally and we had been in long enough where we kind of knew what was coming so it wasn't as much of a shock for some of these other young folks that uh, go into the military but there was a lot of there was a steep learning curve that you were embarking upon the day that you first got on that ship because i remember the very first day we're getting underway and uh we had to stow all this gear and i believe i wasn't flying on and i believe myself and uh the other aw of course wasn't either I believe we actually spent the night on the ship before we did before we got underway because I seem to remember going to the club on what? the base in Pearl Harbor before we got underway because we're getting underway relatively early. So, um, so and of course, being a, a new guy, I get a top bunk, <laughs> which is a pain. So did I, I got what to. <laughs> so was uh, your was your deployment was not part of a Westpac then? No. Okay, no. so because not, not the short, first short cruise, and then actually okay, so, did independent steaming too. Sorry, sorry, you're right. This is you're I'm, my my bad. When you when it comes time for the short cruise to be over, I'll ask the question. But um, spending the night on the boat, no, we um, I, I don't ever remember having to be on the boat before we left. We always left at normal like normal hours, like ten or something. Yeah, I seem to remember we had to be on the boat uh, the night before. And I never, ever flew on. Never. I never got the chance to fly on. Three short cruises and the deployment. Never got to fly on. Well, on this short cruise, I flew off from into San Diego when we because that was where we went. Because I definitely, I remember flying off. Um, and that was just luck of the draw. That that that. Uh, and of course, I had responsibilities once I got there. It wasn't like, okay, I flew off, I can just go hit the club, you know. No, yeah, put the airplane to bed. Yeah, take care of. Yeah, because part of that was they sent me to uh, going off on a little sidebar. They sent me to get my uh, two and a half ton truck license. <laughs> nice. Myself and <laughs> eight, one of the the junior AMS three, and and myself, we got nominated by whomever voluntold to you're going to go to a two-day believe it was a two-day class on driving a two and a half ton steak truck 
You know, so, so it's basically like what the army would call a deuce and a half. Yes. So do you remember the crazy and, shift pattern on a deuce and a half? Yeah. Yep. And and then you had to go out and drive with an instructor and then, yeah. you know, do a driving test. I mean, it was like, you know, wow. Okay. Uh, it was like an all day class and then a half a day of kind of driving around in it. And then that afternoon you took the test and here's your license. So, um, but anyhow, going, that's kind of skipping ahead a little bit with what I had to do once we got to San Diego. So that here's, here's the first culture, sh the first shock, right? So we get up in the morning, of course, we're in dungarees, right? And, uh, you know, go have chow and we're like stowing the hangar, right? We got all this crap that we got to get put up and put away before, you know, the, sh the helicopter is going to be flying on after we get outside the, you know, the, the, uh, Channel buoy, the channel marker, uh, yeah. The Papa Hotel there, one Papa Hotel, the last buoy. When we're out in the open ocean, the helo is going to be flying on. So we got to have everything ready to go. And, and again, this is like you don't really know what the hell you're doing. You're counting on the other people that know what they're doing. Yeah, the, the people have done it before. The, yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. And then, you know, um, you know, that was relatively uh, smooth, I guess you could say. I mean, I don't really uh, – remember too much i just remember you know lifting and carrying and stowing and this and that and then of course one of the things with being in the air debt is uh for the sake of um morale and uh, co cohesion the attitude is like okay you guys are not a separate detachment it's not like being in the air wing on a carrier where you're in a squadron, your whole squadron there, that is your, who you're assigned to, you know, and then the air wing and the, the ship is like, like eh. you know, you don't pay much attention to the ship, the boat stuff. Right. But when you're on a Lampstead, they, they want you like you're integrated into the crew, right? You're one of them. But the only thing that uh, they don't integrate you into is you don't stand any watches. Other than that, you know, they, you're just one of them. I mean, that's kind of the way um, they want you to be viewed, and that's the way you're supposed to view yourself. So where I'm going with that is after all of this crap is all done, our maintenance officer uh, comes in and says, uh, yeah, you guys need to get into your dress whites to man the rail. <laughs> and, and, like, we're all, like, hot, sweaty, everything else, you know, and it's like. No shower really? for you, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So we got to get into our whites and man the rail. And manning the rail is uh, this time-honored tradition that uh, the ships do when they enter and leave port. You know, everybody's standing six feet apart, you know, at parade rest and, you know, looking squared away out there, blah, 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 blah. So we did that. And then, of course, we got to change back into our dungarees again. Cause because the, airplane's the, the, helo the airplane's coming, right? yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. So the helicopter, of course, now we don't know what the hell we're doing yet, right? You know, we've never, you know, been on board the ship. Um, when the helicopter comes in, we've never folded the blades. We've never pushed it into the hangar. Wait, you, you know, never, you never did, you didn't do any blade folding practice when you were at home guard when you first ended up? Maybe we did. I just don't remember doing it. Uh, perhaps we did. Um but we certainly had never pushed it into the hangar on the ship. That's sure, for sure. Of course. Uh, or chained anything down. I mean, uh, 
um, I think I got a quick and dirty lesson on how to use a TD1 tie down, you know, using the uh, pad eyes inside the hanger and, and doing it there is how I somebody showed me how to do it, you know, because, you know, you're going to have certain positions that you're going to fill when you're folding the blades and when you're moving the, the helo into the uh, into the hanger like. Um, like I was going to be the guy that held the blade crutch, you know, and swung the blade back. That was going to be my job, right, later on. And uh, so, you know, the helo comes in, and now they're going to practice doing, like, uh, you know, the some of the drills, like a crash and smash drill, where they got the guys in the hot suit comes out and, yep. you know, takes the crew out and does all that. And then... Uh, then they bring the fire party out and, you know, they look around the helo and there's all this other, you know, training going on. And, you know, I think we're still kind of in the throes of trying to put stuff away and, you know, organize ourselves and, and whatnot. I, and I find it very interesting that you guys did your, your, uh, pack in, you know, your onboard pack in the day you left. We, yeah. we did ours like a few days before. Did you guys have yeah. the? You guys have Vidmar cabinets? Uh, yeah, up in the mezzanine. Yeah. See, you were on a different kind of ship than I was. Yes. Which was much smaller. So our we had a telescoping hanger, like a a, a spru a spruance class or or a kid class. If you just got A H two, you can put it into the hanger with a blade spread. No, we could not. You know, you could not. You, I've seen an no. H2 inside of the, of the Ollendorfer that had the blades. You could not. <laughs> then I guarantee you the ship was not moving because the clearance would be like inches. Yeah. No. I think once you got it in there, it probably could spread you, the blade. You but could, this was in port. Yes, you could, spread, you could spread a blade inside the hangar for blade change if you wanted. Right. But, yeah, no, our Vidmar cabinets are up in the, up in the mezzanine. I just... Yeah, I remember our onload. Yeah, but it was much. It was much smaller. You know, if you looked at the ship, uh, the flight deck um, was much more, was much narrower than a than a Spruins class. Yep. Um, you know, you had a uh, you know a port to starboard and a starboard to port lineup line, and then you had the uh, the circle, and then you had the hyper spot on the uh, port quarter of the flight deck, and looking forward. You know, the hangar literally was with an electric motor. It, it telescoped because when you put the hangar, the bird in there, you know, a, a good two third, well, half of the helicopter was sticking out in the breeze. So the hangar actually telescoped um, to inc fully enclose the uh, the helicopter. And later on, we had problems with that, which that's a real pain. Yikes. Uh, because there's a way we literally had to manually. Because there was a way you could manually extend and um, retract the hanger, retract by... the hanger, yeah, with a hand crank, and we had to do that for a period of time because the motor, something went wrong with that motor or whatever. I, I definitely remember doing that because we were, we were taking turns doing it. You know, so... it wasn't like exactly, you know, a smooth uh, turning wheel. Let's say. Um, I don't know if they had not been doing their um, 3M, which is their uh, periodic maintenance. material maintenance. Uh, I forget what that stood for. Something material maintenance, something. Um, but that's basically the ship uh, maintenance stuff. And uh, that was that came up to be an issue too. 
which we can talk about later with with some stuff related to some of the uh, shipboard firefighting equipment and how it was being stowed on this particular ship. So, all right, but uh, I, I want to... And our hyper rig and some other stuff, but... I have questions about yeah, so we got the helicopter pack. on board, and, and now they, they, after they do all this stuff, now they want to go out and fly some more. Of course. <laughs> not, so, you're not going to waste a... You're not going to waste a bag yeah, of gas. And, and we're literally going to do another sortie, and, and the pilots are going to do DLQs is what it is. What? All, all the pilots are going to do their like, six landing or whatever the hell they had to do. Weren't they already to, current? Well, yeah, they were current, but they were going to – They were gonna. this is their initial plan was to do uh, – get all the pilots their DLQ thing like right up to date or just practice or – what have you, because they wanted to do day and night. So we did two sorties. But this is your this and is your first day of your first short cruise. Exactly. Oh yeah. My gosh. Because okay. I flew I flew on the night one. So here I am. I have never even flown off a ship before, and boom, there I am. Right. Um, I mean, I you know a reasonable amount of flight time since I've been in the squadron. In fact, I'd had. You know, done a detachment up in Barking Sands and done a lot of ASW stuff and, you know, and, and, and whatnot. And even though we had three AWs, I never, the first time I ever did a hyper, live hyper, I was by myself too. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, a, a steep learning curve. But I think uh, that was a really, really long day. And the way our detachment was operated, they didn't really respect um the 3710 rules as far as crew rest <laughs> and for some reason our i don't know what was going on with our officers but they were not paying attention to it either because you know as as typically happened on this detachment you know the last flight of the night you know the officers just disappear you don't see them again till the next day right uh, but you know we're all done and now here we are the first night it's nighttime we got to fold the blades we have to push the aircraft in the hangar. You know, of course, that was a much longer evolution than uh, um, typically would take place as, as we got more and more uh, experience. And basically what we were doing for our initial um, about, I want to say it was like two weeks at sea, was transiting from Pearl Harbor to San Diego, escorting an amphibian amphibious readiness group back to San Diego. Um, Cause I remember it was like the USS uh, Bella Wood, the USS uh, Thomaston. And I forget the other ships, but I remember those two ships for, for sure. Cause I definitely remember landing on those two. And we had the Joseph Strauss with us, which was a, um, an Adam, class DDG with no flight deck which was interesting because back in this day uh, for movies you literally had a movie projector on the mess deck and you swapped movies the real kind and I remember that was like my very first hoist evolution to a uh, another ship was hoisting the mail down to uh, or not the mail the movies down to the uh, Strauss and uh, I think we did a hyper for training with the uh, during that particular evolution as well. So, you know, that first night, I just remembered like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to be able to hack this. This is like, uh, 
you know, 10 o'clock at night and I've been awake since like 5.30 in the morning. Is this what it's going to be like every day? And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I'll be all right as long as I get like, you know, six hours of sleep. And typically that was about all I, I was getting because our detachment, the way our chief ran it, and I guess the way our officers just sort of turned a blind eye was, you know, nobody went to bed until that helicopter was put to bed. And there's a lot of work involved with that because when the helicopter comes back at night, you have to give it a fresh water wash. You have to run the engines and uh, what? with fresh water. Uh, and then you got to put this preservative in the engines. That was every every night before we put it in the hangar. Then you had to do the daily and turnaround. And then you had to uh, wipe it down with corrosion preventative compound and uh, do we, the inspections. And what? then right and then and and any maintenance write-ups that had to be rectified. You know the the guys had to had to who uh, had to take care of those. And technically speaking, you could not do a daily until maintenance was completed correct. so correct they're basically doing other stuff you know oh some corrosion work needs to be done so i oh. became acquainted with scotch bright and uh metal brushes and uh okay i have to add yeah, it was I... it was kind of a uh like i said it was a big culture shock and uh it it took a lot of man hours to maintain that helicopter and the way our debt chief his, his philosophy is like you guys are maintenance guys. You're going to do what uh, you work for me, and uh, we all work until everything's done. So, okay, kind of sucks. So, I'm, I'm going to have to brag a bit here. Um, when, well, no, first a clarifying question. Every time you flew, you didn't wash the helicopter. You did a water wash on the motors. No, every, we had to fresh, no, we fresh water wash the helicopter. Every night? Every night, yep. What? Okay. Yeah, yep. we we didn't we okay we didn't do that. We gave we gave uh, water wash and rust lick on the motors. We did that. Um, you know, we did that every night. We we only washed the helicopter every fourteen days, like you're supposed to. Yeah, but remember, we're on a much yeah. Actually, the uh, the wash cycle is actually seven days at sea. Well, that's true. I'm sorry. You're right. Weekly. Yes. But you could substitute using snow yeah the, that the, aircraft the, the, the scrubbing bubbles yes i remember the scrubbing yep. bubbles yep. but if you did that on the seventh day you had to do a full wash on the 14th day correct i remember all this okay but yeah we didn't fortunately i remember it all too we did not wash the airplane every time after we flew it was so, just basically like the equivalent of when you went through the bird bath Oh, you just hosed yeah, you, it down, but you still got to climb up yeah, there and and, water. and and sop up the voids. You couldn't let water no, stand in the no, voids. No, it's just, it just like washing the, any of the salt that might got on might have got on the aircraft. Okay, because uh, remember, you know, we're much closer to the water. Not that than much closer. Right. Not that much closer. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up because yeah, it's, it's a much smaller ship. I okay, I know the ship is smaller, um, but not. Um, Okay. Let's see. Keep go. Keep talking. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, and that, and that, that's part of our job, right? Well, in the Navy, there's no such thing as maids. 
or <laughs> janitors or anything like that, the lower you are on the totem pole, the more crap work you're going to get stuck doing, right? So myself, pretty much all of us that were on our first cruise, we all had a rotation um, of being coop cleaners. What cleaners? And that basically is a carp a compartment cleaner. Okay. So that was your additional that was one of my additional duties. Like if I wasn't flying in the morning go, the first go, I was in there with my uh my buddy that I went to the driving the truck driving school, um, because they did it by duty section, right? How you were the coop cleaner. And we, we followed the ships. I think the ship had I wanna say they had three section duty. Yeah, they had three section duty. And uh so yeah, you had to, you know, sweep. You had to clean the head like 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 it was hermetically sealed because and I am not kidding you, you know, at like ten o'clock in the morning you'd hear that bosun's whistle, you know, now hear this, uh all living spaces and galley or whatever, stand by for executive officers messing and birthing inspection. Health and comfort inspection. So, whatever the hell they call it yeah so what so you're literally standing at attention and then the xo of the ship comes in there and i kid you not he's got a flashlight and an inspection mirror what and he's going into the head and like looking under the rim of the urinals and the and the uh toilets uh and making sure those things are you know whistle you know clean as a whistle and uh yeah so that was, uh, you know, all of the, uh, uh, all that stainless steel was all wiped down and clean. The, uh, the floor was mopped. The, there wasn't a speck of dirt or dust in the rest of the compartment. All the bunks were made regulation, like boot camp with the freaking blanket folded back with a little triangle. You know, all your ge- no gear adrift. I mean, it was just, and this was every single freaking day. Every day except, uh, Sunday, or if we had what was known in the uh, in the Navy as a rope yarn Saturday, which means a day off on a Saturday. Because in the Navy at sea, typically Saturday is a work day. Yep. So uh, if you had a rope yarn on a Saturday or a rope yarn on the afternoon, you didn't you, they didn't do the the messing and berthing inspection uh, in the morning. So. Um, yeah, so that was one of the additional duties. That so there's another bit of energy that you gotta, you know, expend and aggravation that you had to uh, to put up with. But you know, I I get it. You know how it's important for the cleanliness and morale and sanitation and all that stuff. So I understand why you know what what the importance is of that kind of thing. But needless to say, it wasn't something that anybody really enjoyed doing. Obviously. Um, so, um, we took, like I said, about, I want to say it was 10 days. It might've been two weeks cause we might've screwed around. Uh, cause it doesn't take that long to get from Hawaii to San Diego. No, nope. I want to say we escorted the ships and then we screwed around off of, uh, yeah, we did. We escorted them, dropped them off. They went in port and we played around San Clemente Island. So the ship could shoot the guns and do some other stuff, which was interesting because we, you know, I'd never seen that before. So I thought that was kind of cool. And uh, we did some we did some interesting stuff that I don't remember exactly what it was, but 
uh, with a helicopter. We might have done some ASW stuff or, or what have you. So we've been out to sea for like two weeks or ten days or whatever it was. Now we're going to pull in. Well, I got to fly off. And um, I went with... Uh, Coming back to Pearl, right? A, no, San Diego. Oh, okay. we, tra we transited. We escorted that amphibious readiness group. And they pulled in and we went and played around San Clemente Island for three or four days. And then we pulled into San Diego to the 32nd Street Naval Station. But I got to fly off to NAS North Island which is where I had just been like three or four months before. And uh, we we're going to be hosted by Mike Squadron, HSL-33. So typically when you go visit another air station, you get hosted. Now, what exactly that meant was not a whole lot. Well, They were kind of there to help us out a little bit. and uh, Help you, have, give, you know, you, give you a place to park your airplane. Basically, yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, and of course put it in the hangar if there was space. And uh, so, you know, one of my things was I had to go to Public Works, check out a deuce and a half truck with uh, one of the maintenance guys that also flew in. Then we had to drive down to the uh, ship and get all most of our crap off the off the ship and take take it back to North Island because we were going to do a phase. What? While we're in port, yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes! Yep, and uh, and I think we're going to do some flying because we were there for like 10 days. Okay, well, that uh, kind of makes some sense, yeah. But yeah, to, and, to have to offload your whole gonna, pack, we though. Fly, and we were going to fly a little bit before the phase and then a little bit after because I do remember uh, doing some flying when we were there. And it was interesting because, and I'm, maybe Mike will remember this, but this was at the same time that they had some kind of NATO cruise going on and the Italian Navy was in. Yeah. We talked about that last time about the, yeah. The and, Italians uh, and their so H1. I think they were being sponsored by or hosted by HSL 31, maybe yeah. 35. I forget. Well, maybe it was you guys. I don't we really had, remember. we put, we put one of their, we put one the, of their, the Hueys, right? we put one of their Hueys in our hangar. Yeah. Cause I just yeah, got they, to the line they, when they showed up and there was the line chief going, anybody work with the, Anyone ever put the yeah. wheels on a on a Huey? <laughs> yeah. Well, nope. they wanted to borrow our battery, believe it or not. Yes. One morning, I was like, "What?" So you can't have our battery. And you know, the guy comes over, spoke pretty good English. Yeah, you know, like whatever. But that's a whole different, uh, whole different story. So the funny thing is, you know, um, I'm not somebody that's prone to motion sickness, so I didn't have any trouble adjusting to uh and it wasn't really rough when we were coming across um so i didn't really have any uh pro believe it or not our lpo leading petty officer the e6 in our detachment who'd been in the navy at that point like 12 maybe 13 years that poor guy i mean he just looked at the ocean and he was in his bunk for the first two days <laughs> he just awfully seasick and he was a super nice guy too i love the guy he was a really great guy to work for uh, but the poor guy, man, he, he just looked at the ocean and he was sick for two or three days in his bunk and then he was fine. It was just really strange. But, um, but I remember calling home and standing in the uh, phone booth, literally remember the phone booth by the hangar in HSL 31. Yes. Right by the duty office, uh, the yeah. door there, you yeah. went out the door, turned to the right. There's a phone booth there. I'm in that phone booth and I'm moving. 
because, <laughs> because I'd been on board the ship and I'm just yeah. like literally moving when I'm in there talking to my mom. Having land. That was like the, one of the first things I did was I called home. Land sickness, yeah. Yeah, to get back, I'm like, holy crap, I'm, I'm freaking uh, got autokinesis here. Uh, so, yeah, we were in San Diego. Um, I think we had, uh, and we were in 864 again, so I was like, I'm back, I'm back home again. In the tran in the transient barracks, and uh, shared a room with this one this one buddy of mine. He, he became pretty good buddies. He was a AMS three, uh, and uh, so we we got a room, and uh, the other two uh, AWs they got a room. They, that's how they how we kind of split that up, and uh, I think we had like one day off out of that time that we we're there. Maybe maybe we might have had two. I know we definitely had one. Um, don't remember exactly what I did, but I know, I know I had a little time off when we were there. And the next thing that we were going to do, this was actually, I mean, if you look at going places and seeing stuff and doing stuff, it was kind of cool because the next place we were going to go was up to Esquimalt, uh, Victoria in, uh, British Columbia, which is the major Pacific base for the Canadian Navy. We're going to pull in there for a couple of days, and then we're going to go around the corner to Nanaimo, and we're going to work on the Nanus range, which is a joint Canadian-American ASW range, and the ship was going to do all, drop, fire all these torpedoes, and we were going to drop torpedoes and do all this cool stuff. And lo and behold, on the transit from... Uh, San Diego to uh, uh, <laughs> I already hear where this Esquimalt. is. I already hear this is going. <laughs> Go on. We were flying around, and I don't remember who was flying around. They got a freaking combining gearbox chip light. Oh, okay, I thought it was gonna be a ship catastrophe. <laughs> no, no, no. We had a few of those later on, uh, but uh, yeah. So we got a chip light, and for those of you that are familiar with that. Uh, you know what it is, but if you're not, the way these systems are designed is uh, you want to have something to monitor if these gearboxes, because there's tons of gears and moving parts, is making metal. And uh, there's a little plug in the sump of the oil system that uh, has a magnet on it. It gets enough on there. It closes that connection, and you get a little light It says, poink. Combining gearbox chip light, or as we used to call it, a C-box chip light. And so now we can't fly because they pulled the, the plug, and it wasn't just fuzz. I mean, there was like they could see a piece of safety wire on it. Oh, okay. So that gearbox is kaput. And um, that happened. And, of course, this is like this helicopter. I had a lot of problems over my H2 career with helicopters and gearboxes. So this was like the very first one that this happened of, of this of this unfortunate uh, deal here. So we're literally getting ready to pull into um, Esquimalt, and this freaking gearbox craps out. So it's a big logistics nightmare because now we can't fly, right? And we don't have a pack out on board. In other words, we don't have a spare gearbox. I mean, 
the way a battle group when they deploy one hell one ship might have a main gear box the other one will have a c box they'll each have a couple of spare blades etc yeah yeah because it's out. a pretty big component right well we weren't going to get this thing until uh we got up to obviously in port in Esquimalt and uh you know they had to uh crane the thing on board and um you know we had to uh change that freaking gearbox on board the ship um and we had to employ what some would call the command killer <laughs> which was the uh self-contained uh hoist like maintenance yeah. or hoist yeah Crane which required you to get the working platform out of the tunnel, which is the thing you stood on. And then the, you, you, this thing was assembled using uh, various different uh, pit pins, little uh, quick disconnect uh, type uh, mechanisms. It was, uh, it looked like an erector set, you know, before you assemble it. Um, and it's got a winch on it and, uh, yeah, so we had to change that gearbox out. That was, you know, that was no fun. And then there's, you know, some uh, post-maintenance uh, uh, checking and testing and whatnot that you uh, that you're required to do as a as a function of uh, putting that gearbox in there. And uh, you know, we got all that taken care of. And we worked off that Anus range there for I don't know. It was what was interesting about doing that was the ship would pull in and drop anchor every night literally by the small little base where the helic the the canadians operated the range um but it was a joint u.s uh, canadian range but the canadians operated and they used contractors flying uh s61s which is a like a stretch version of the sikorsky uh h3 to do to recover the torpedoes it was a civilian company that was contracted so we dropped anchor right off where this little little base was and we let ride the the uh the motor whaleboat in to go on liberty and nice. uh yeah so we were there for i don't know maybe four or five days and uh we'd leave we'd take we'd pull out like eight o'clock in the morning go out till like three in the afternoon drop anchor 1600 you know liberty call for those not on duty and then you didn't have to be back until the next morning if you want to stay out i i always came back to the ship i mean had a good time i mean uh really uh good time there in uh in nanaimo we didn't get any liberty in Esquimalt, uh, um obviously because we were dealing with the uh helicopter issues here. yeah i think we got to get off the ship maybe for a couple hours and we went to the canadian uh, Navy, they had like a club there, drank a couple of beers, and that was had to be back on board the ship by 11 o'clock or something. So that was kind of not so much fun. But the best part was we were going to go across to Vancouver and we we're going to do a port visit. Now, a port visit is for Liberty. It's not a work like uh, not like a working port. This is where if you're not on duty, get out. Yep. You can get off the ship, stay off as long as you want, as long as you got back on the for the time that you were on duty. So, uh, had a great time in Vancouver. Vancouver is a really interesting city. You know, ate ate a lot of good food. Um, saw some of the sights. You know, did some of the typical sailor type stuff. 
And um, what was interesting about that was um, where we were, uh, we were at a pier right next to where they were doing the, um, um, the, the, the expo was it expo 85 was going to be the next year, I think in, uh, Vancouver. So they were building this big pier there and we're right next to that, right downtown. And the funny thing is, you know, the Canadians were in a little bit more speaking terms with the Russians. So there was Russian freighters there. And when we came in, one of those freighters actually moved so they could be in direct sight of the ship. Nice. Yeah. So, but we were, you know, I had duty one of the days we were there and, and me and one of the other, we were actually fishing off the ship because the ship had uh, fishing gear, that fishing tackle that you could, you could check out. And we were actually fishing and catching fish off the ship and having, uh, and doing that. Uh, but that same day, I also had to do the static display because every day they had visitor, like a visit ship, you know, open house. And we had the helicopter out there, you know, with the rotor blades spread, and um, you know, I had to be out there in my uh, in my. Uh, I want to say I was wearing my flight suit, and really? uh, you know, yeah. having people asking questions about the helicopter, and um, you know, that was kind of kind of cool. Did that? I might have been in uniform. I just I was don't gonna really say, remember. I, I, if if they let, I wasn't as escorting like doing tours i was just there i want to say i was in my flight suit because i think i I had my ball my hsl 37 ball cap on and and all that Oh, okay and you know we're like letting the little kids sit in the seat and all that kind of stuff you know so it was it was kind of fun met some nice people and uh you know then uh then it was time to turn around and head back to hawaii and by the time all this got done, I think we're out about gone for a total of six weeks. Isn't that is, um, isn't a six week short cruise like oxymoronic definition? Yeah, yeah, because my first short yeah. cruise was also six weeks. I'm thinking this ain't and, short. Uh, so now you think you're pretty salty after you've done all this. <laughs> yeah, six weeks because you have kind of you kind of gelled as a as a team now. You know, like bring. You know, it wasn't as much of an ordeal um, as it was like the first night. You're going, oh, my God. So by the end of this, you're like, "Eh, okay, whatever, you know. And at this time, you could grow beards. So uh, that didn't last long. The beard thing had been uh, wasn't until January 1st of 85. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was fiscal year 85. Because I had I have a picture of me on that cruise with a beard. Maybe it was fiscal year. Maybe uh, it was the you end know, of the- You know what? You may you might be right. It might be January first because we had because we did it up in October, and October is the beginning of the fiscal year. We had a couple dudes with beards still, so it was probably January first of eighty five. You're right. Yeah, yeah. We all we all grew beards pretty much. Even a couple of the uh, pilots did too. So well, you uh, shave you shave your head so you don't have to get a haircut, and you grow a beard so you don't have to shave your face. Yeah. Right. So well. That, that, it's ma- it's yeah, personal yeah. maintenance that you although take a i did of. get haircuts because we had a little barber shop on the ship so uh and and on a frigate you know there's not a lot of people on there so it wasn't a huge deal to get a haircut um and our and our ship store wasn't even a thing you could walk into it was like a window they opened up and you could buy you know like you, some you e-duck, you know candy bars or you know toothpaste or whatever I, I'm, I'm, gonna, stuff. I'm gonna submit to you that your that your ship store's main sources of income was cigarettes and film 
Cause Probably so in that in that era. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I never bought a whole lot. I mean, I bought like a like a Slim Jim here and there or something like that. You know, or can't you know like a candy bar or something. But because I didn't smoke. I just um, I just remember one like whole wall of the ship store full of cartons of cigarettes. Right. I, oh, we had one guy that was like. They sold the little cans of like beanie weenie and stuff like that, Vienna <laughs> sausage and stuff. Yuck. This guy was like going through those like like they're going out of style. Yeah, cheese whiz. I remember but, che- you know the, the cheese. Yeah, the- cheese whiz. Yeah, yeah, easy cheese as one guy used to call it. <laughs> um, but some of the inner, you know, you you know, again, shipboard life. You know, you start getting into a little bit of a you know a routine. You know, at night uh, is you know these these ships here they got two boilers. And a lot of times they were on one boiler, which means you had one evaporator. So a lot of times they were on water hours on these on these uh, Knox class frigates. Fortunately, uh, we got in tight with a lot of the engineers, and uh, even got in tight with some of the mess cooks because we were we would take these guys for rides here and there. You know the the mess cooks, you know, were up there. They would uh, you know bring us up like a sheet pizza or uh, cinnamon rolls and stuff like that. They left. Uh, 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 a combination lock on one of the small refrigerators where they put like a, a hunk of cheese and, and uh, ham in there and some bread so we could go down there, uh, the air crew, because we missed chow and there's no, you know, no bag. This is what, that was what we got to eat if, you know, for lucky. Um, of course, cause they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, they were a lot stricter with chow than on a carrier carrier. The mess decks were open like 22 hours a day, but not on a, well, not yeah, on a the, the fast, the, the, not the fast, there's a two mess decks, right? There's the one that's open. Yeah. The, the, um, 20, almost they had the day. one up forward, which was like, uh, pretty much sliders and rollers, yes. you know, hamburgers and hot dogs. And that stuff. was open all the time. And then the yeah. regular one in the back that was. Cause that asked, was still open a lot of the time, though. Even the one back aft was open. But I always had a long because, ass line. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, when I was on the carrier, I was in E6, so we had our own. We had our own mess. We had our own, uh, our own mess and our own, uh, our own line. So it was a little bit better. But this time, you know, on a frigate, the lines were pretty short. But eating on a frigate, if you're in any kind of waves or anything like that, you literally had to hold on to your tray while you're eating one hand on your tray and one hand on your fork. Uh, cause those things did move around quite a bit. They had Naga hide for, uh, uh, like a tablecloth to kind of, kind of hold grippy, the tray down a little, a little bit. Grippy, uh, and they had these things that kind of slid up and locked to kind of block anything from moving back and forth and, and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, it wasn't until later on that we got got into some rougher stuff that was on the actual deployment. But, uh, you know, you, you get used to um, the shipboard life stuff, you know. Uh, Same stuff, you, different night, day. You, know, you take, a, you take your, your Navy shower, brush your teeth, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I used to brush my teeth, shave, so I'd be all set for the next day. And, you know, this was uh, when I was much younger, so I'd have to swing myself up into that damn top rack there. And I bought a little, little, a very small little kind of a boom box tape player thing. And, uh, um, you didn't have you a know, walk so band I, at that point. I didn't know. I had, I bought one of this, this kind of thing that would fit in that gap between the mattress and the, 
and the bulkhead that could hide under the pillow. So when they did the inspection, they never knew it was there. And uh, I took some, made a thing with safety wire to hold in, uh, you know, some books and stuff that kind of out of sight up out in the, in the rafters up in the in the overhead. So, so that was a good thing you about get, a top you rack. Create, you get creative. What's that? That was a good thing about a top rack is you didn't have the rack above you right in your face. You had whatever was yeah. open. You had the open ceiling. So you had yeah. space above yeah, you. Yeah, I could actually sit up in mine if I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, same here. So, you know, there was some upside upside to it. I, I Later on, I, I uh, on the deployment, I want to say that I wound up with the middle rack right below me. Uh, because somebody got removed from the dead or whatever, I forget. But I wound up with the middle uh, bunk on the deployment, which is the which I think is pretty good myself. I was I didn't the, like the bunk. I was the only third class with a top with a top bunk because I was the yeah. junior third class. the The problem was is that the row we were in, right, uh, one of the racks had a ship's company dude in it. He's a first class. Uh, IC man, you know, IC, you know, mm-hmm. ter- you know, telephone dude. And yep. they didn't make him move. So if he had been out of our row, I would have got a bottom bunk. Cause we would have, you know, it's 12. We had 11 dudes. We had 12, yeah. 12 spots, but because he was there then I got pushed up. Oh, well, I still like, yeah. It. So, um, now we're back in, uh, Back in San Diego, and uh, now, did you leave sorry, all your San Diego? Cra- we're back, and we're back in Barber's Point. We're back in Hawaii. We're, we're moved off the ship, and uh, we're kind of hanging around, hanging around for a while because let's see, this is getting into close to we're into like the end of August, maybe, and uh, yeah, we didn't go, uh, we didn't deploy until. For about another month or so, I want to say maybe a little bit more than that. So one short cruise before your deployment. Yep, that was it. So our deployment, uh, we're going to be um, independent steaming. We aren't going to be with a battle group. There was there was times when we were with with a battle group, but uh, we we're we we're uh, independent steaming with a uh, the Joseph Strauss. The the uh, Adams class DDG, just us two ships. Do so you, initially, I'm sorry. I was going to ask, do you want to do you want to save the actual deployment part for next time? Sure. Yeah, we can do that because this we've exhausted an hour talking about this, and I have a couple questions that I want to. Yeah. All right. So first of all, I couldn't find. Of course, I wasn't searching really hard. I couldn't find how far above the water. Knox class flight deck is not quite as bad as those uh, freaking Garcia class, though, or even the which I, or, or even the the Burks. Brooke the class Burks are like what five feet. <laughs> I I know that Spruance were like thirty five feet above the water. Well, maybe not that high. It was it was high enough though. That yeah, we didn't have big salt spray issues, but yeah, we still put the airplane to bed every night. Oh, we uh, we had spray coming over the. Sh- you know, like literally, like down over the flight deck. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So when I mean, I rode out a typhoon in a frigate. Yeah. I my worst my worst weather was at Barking Sands, and that was just big forty foot rollers 
you know was that the winter time it was let me think because that's usually when the big surf is like this time of the year there's the north shore is when they have those massive when they have those lunatics that go out with a guy takes them out in a in a jet ski pulling them out there or they, they drop from a helicopter and ride those massive waves in okay so we went there twice once was on my short cruise which would have been november you know October, right around halloween we were we were actually in port mm-hmm. pearl on halloween so um but i don't remember doing it then i want to say it was when we on our outbound leg we left the end of february so it would have been early march mm-hmm. we'd have been there mm-hmm. and that that was the only time on my Every time, anytime my boat that the weather decks are secured, and we went out mm-hmm. there, we went out there anyway. <laughs> we were out of the flight deck anyway to see how, and you know, because you know those pictures of people leaning into it, right? Because it was really, yeah. really twisting the boat up. Um, so yeah, no, I no rough weather. I mean, we had huh? we had some stormy stuff when we were transiting to um, uh, Bunbury to Australia, but it wasn't it wasn't nearly as big waves as a. Uh, as near Hawaii was. Uh, Actually, the most the most consistently rough place I've been in is uh, the Sea of Japan in the wintertime. That gets pretty rough out there. So what I want, I want to ask you another question about... Oh, so your, your maintenance pack, right? So when you packed mm-hmm. on, they dumped all the crap on the flight deck and you had to put it all away, right? And I asked yep. about, about Vidmar cabinets. Did you actually have to stow... The cabinets, or do they let you just swap the drawers? Because I don't remember. I think we had to stow it ourselves. Because we, the the ship had Vidmar cabinets on already, and and we were allowed to yeah. just, we were allowed to just swap the drawers, which made stowing them so much easier. And and the um, no, I don't I don't think we did that. And the and the senior chief that was in part in charge of the supply department on the boat, he and his first class were there helping us check stuff in. Um, so, you know, part of that, you know, you're part of the crew now thing, but yeah, it was, um, yeah. And then, and then we had, so that was one day to move all the pack on the stuff that wasn't going to come off. Like, you know, the spare rotor blade, the Vidmar. Um, I think we, we didn't have an engine in a can. We had something in a can. We had the spare engine, probably a gear, main gearbox. We had a spare engine up on the. I want to. Uh, we had two rotor blades up on top of the hangar, and um, I want to say it might have been a combining gearbox, and then we had an engine. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember. What down we had. on the, around the flight deck area. I can't remember what we had in the can. We had a can though that had something in it. Um, but once we got all, you know, the toolboxes, of course, all our flight gear, we had to stow all that, and then we got we got to come back. We might have finished that in the morning. We got to come back later in the day. To actually process on the boat because the boat had to they had to put a sticker on your ID card right they yeah. had to they had to um they assigned us birthing space uh, yep and then we you know they gave yeah us- I seem we, I seem to remember we got like a little like briefing from the chief master at arms too on like the the ship's rules and stuff yeah 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 you know someone someone from the boat had to take you around and show you where the stuff was show you tell you what time chow was that sort of thing um yeah. Uh, and yeah, then, we had to do uh, an abandoned ship drill, and you know, you had to do the blindfold. Uh, we did that later. Uh, thing. Yeah, we 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 did that on like when we left, like on our first transit to Pearl on our actual deployment date. That's when we did. Mm-hmm. You know, 
somebody figured out that the Airedales had didn't have to hadn't had their find your way out of your birthing space in the dark, you know, test yet. So they came and did that for us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but no, I'm losing it. There's a there's another thought I wanted to. Oh, so you had a top? Did did your top bunk have you, you guys? You didn't have the the storage underneath your rack, did you? Yeah, it was a coffin rack but, up on the top. Yeah, but did it actually the actually lift up with storage underneath it? Yeah, like like the bottom like the bottom and the middle racks had. Yep. Yeah. See, I didn't have that. The top racks in this boat didn't have the stuff underneath, so we had two. You had you had two lockers. We right? had two stand up lockers down at the end of the. Well, one was one was at the end, and then one was like around the corner down in a void area. So we had those on the carrier. So the one that. So the one that I didn't, you know, I kept my civilian clothing in and stuff I didn't need a lot was, you know, dress uniforms around the corner. And then the, the other one was where I kept my regular everyday stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right. So yeah, next week we'll, we'll, we'll let you uh, tell us about your first easy deployment. It sounds like no battle group, no, yeah. West, no Westpac for you. Uh, wow. It turned out to be a kind of a screwed up, disjointed deployment. Well, I mean, it sounds it already sounds like a problem if if uh, you know the the officers didn't uh, you know keep the chief in line to keep you know to keep the. Sh- Did you have division within your group? No, we were pretty we we're pretty um, cohesive as a um, as a group because we universally didn't like our chief. Okay, we had, we, had same, we had the same. The chief was our our chief was a spineless guy, and it, and if it wasn't if our if our ONC hadn't have been an experienced dude to keep boat shenanigans off our back, I, we think the chief would let them do whatever they want to us. And see, our OIC as much as um, I uh, I did like him. He was pretty junior as a uh, lieutenant commander. Like this, the XO was senior to him, so he was getting crammed into a lot of boat stuff, which is, which actually went on during this shore cruise. We were actually painting the ship. Oh, the only the only boat thing we had to do, um, was clean the flight deck. That was on our short cruise. We pulled into Pearl. We flew. We were pulling in the next morning. We had flown that night. Scrubex, as we call it. Yeah, yeah. We had flown that night, and um, we were going to man the rails. Uh, this is the first time the ship had pulled into Pearl in a while, and the skipper wanted, you know, out there in our whites manning the rails. And this is on a short cruise, right? So uh, we land. We get everything done. It's probably midnight. <clears throat> we're supposed to be on the deck at 7 a.m. for floating in uh, to man the rails. We're like... And then the chief gives us all this crap, you know, that has to be done. And it was, yeah, scrubbing the flight deck. And we'd already, you know, H2s are notorious for flinging grease, right? Oh, yeah. Um, red, so, red grease, red yeah. dots all over the place, Yeah, so, right? you know, you and scrubbing non-skid. And we're just trying to make the white the white lines nice and white. So we spent, yep. we probably stayed up till 4 a.m., uh, getting the stuff ready and then we all just half is like you guys use uh you guys use b&b b&b That's of course yeah b&b of course so yeah. you know at that point we're like screw it we're just gonna stay up we just stayed up until 
until we manned the rails. We came in and then it was like, okay, we secure for Liberty. <laughs> and all of us that were big talkers about, oh yeah, once, once we're done, we're going to hit the rack. Hell no. Once, once it was secure for Liberty, you found the energy to stay up <laughs> the rest of the day. Oh yeah. That well, when a, you're that, young, you can do that kind that of stuff. That was a crazy you know? trip. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, next time we'll, uh, we'll talk about Scott's independent steaming, I'm air quoting deployment. Um, we'll hear about the places he's visited and, uh, how much fun it was. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of one of these things where at the time you're like, oh my God, this epically sucks bad. You know, some of the stuff. But then you look back on it in hindsight and you go, you know what? It wasn't so bad. That was probably some of the best times of my life, really. Yeah. Yep. So just, just uh, all it's all relative. And you don't exactly. Time, you don't you don't appreciate it, it, I guess. At the time. Yep. At yep. the time. Absolutely. I agree with that 100 percent. All right. So if we're going to. Well, uh, oh, we should probably before we close the mics, we should probably do our standard beg for communication emails send us emails at uh, mike at navalair.net or scott at navalair.net um we've had a couple we've we've read them on the on the air so to speak um we always appreciate and would love to hear from you out there if absolutely you have, if you have any feedback for us what you'd like to hear about that or any any other uh yes anybody wants books, to uh that have a background in naval aviation that would like to tell their story be a part of this uh podcast that's definitely uh, uh yes. an important thing to emphasize can't because that either yep um the uh there's no other venue really other than uh having a live uh body uh with a microphone talking about their experiences in the in the navy especially the the period of time that we're you know it's all eras but uh the part i guess the era that mike and i are the most familiar with going to, with the h2 community is uh you know uh the early into the mid 80s that was our that was our time with the h2 height of the cold war height of the cold war yep so yeah so drop us a line we'd love to hear from you um yeah, so without any more hemming and hawing and delaying of the inevitable, I'll give our standard closing of thank you for listening. Stay safe and God bless.